today we're going to cover verses 1 through 11. As we look at this amazing story, and I hope that you guys know when you're reading the Bible that um, nothing is insignificant. You know, all the details that are there uh, are there for a reason. And so it's been said that theologians will never touch the bottom. But there are lessons here to help us in life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your struggles are. Maybe you're anxious, maybe you're depressed, and maybe you feel empty inside. Uh, maybe you're struggling with uh, pornography or drugs or alcohol or you don't have any friends. Uh, or you feel like you don't have any friends or purpose. I don't know what's going on. Maybe financially it's been hard. Maybe your marriage has, has been very, very difficult. You know, maybe I think a lot of us here recently, we've had loved ones that have passed away. You know, my dad's birthday is tomorrow, and so I'm just thinking about him, you know, um, as... The Lord took him home in 2020. I know a lot of us basically are going through a lot of difficulties. And so it's kind of cool to be able to just get with God, to open up the Bible and say, Lord, you know me. Lord, you know where I'm at. You know my struggles. Lord, speak to me. Lord, strengthen me. And he's faithful to do that. And there's lessons here today that I think, man, they're really, really cool. Uh, I'm going to write some things down and you guys uh, can kind of pick up on that. Uh, uh, I did a little outline. Number one, we're going to see that Lazarus lived. Lazarus lived. Now, in John chapter 11, you might remember Lazarus was dead. He was dead and buried for four days. But now Lazarus lived. And as a result of him living, people were getting saved. People were getting saved just because he was alive. He never said a word. You know, sometimes our preaching, it doesn't do any good because our living is not good. So I'll tell you what, you guys have heard this saying before, actions speak louder than words. And so we're going to glean from that how Lazarus lived and what a witness he was. And then after that, we're going to see how Martha served. Martha served. And, you know, again, she, some might think it was insignificant what she did. All she did was cook. All she did was make, you know, I, I like to think of homemade tortillas or something, you know, salsa, some really good rice or beans or whatever. And, I mean, she just cooked. She just served. And it's such an important uh, thing for us to understand. You know, maybe that's all you do. Maybe you make cookies for the coffee cart and you think that's insignificant. Listen, it's not. If God told you to make cookies for the coffee cart, and you make cookies for God? Do you realize how huge that is? But whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we do, it's so cool just to see how Martha served. And so we see, number one, the witness, how Lazarus lived. Number two, the work, how Martha served. And then thirdly, we're going to see how Mary perfumed. And she grabs this uh, ointment, a pound, man, and she pours it on Jesus' head and wipes his feet how she perfumed, prepared, and publicly praised the Lord. And we're going to see that today. And now she's the worshiper. She's the worshiper. And those are three things, the divine details as far as how you're going to worship. You might not pour perfume on someone, but God will show you the details of what is to do and how you're to worship, how you're to be a living sacrifice. And that ends up, man, just being exactly what God wants. Warren Worsby said, the Christian life ought to be a beautiful balance of witness, work, and worship. And we learned that in our study today. But then there's this crazy dude. You guys, how many of you here were here last week for Ryan? I'm just curious. Most of you were here, right? 
You remember what, that word he would throw around a lot? Poser. You're a poser. That's who Judas was. Judas was a poser. Think about it, man. For three years, three and a half years, he was in ministry with Jesus, but he never caught it. He never caught it. And so, you know, he's an interesting story, and he's going to see this whole thing go down on how Mary pours the ointment on Jesus, and he's like, I can't believe this. Why did she waste it like that? She could have sold that money, $50,000 worth of money, and given it to the poor. I mean, he came across so piously, so self-righteously, and so deceptively. He was a critic, and as he criticized, then all the other people join in with the criticism. And they were, just, they were just way off. We're going to see how important it was that Jesus' body was anointed before he died on that cross. And so Judas, the critic, ends up being a representative of the wicked because what ends up eventually happening is he dies. He commits suicide. And so we have to make sure that we don't end up like him, you know, on the outskirts of this whole thing. Let me ask you a question today. Are you for Jesus or not? Are you in or not? Are you here because, you know, someone forced you to or it's a habit? Or are we here because we love him? We love him. Because whatever you do, don't, you know, don't get familiar with the outside of holy things because eventually, you know, you're going to die if you do that. So notice what we read here in John chapter 12. This is something that I would encourage you to read in Matthew 26, 6 through 13. It's a parallel passage. Matthew 26, 6 through 13, and Mark 14, 3 through 9. And you get kind of like the full account. But it says in verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served the meal, but Lazarus was one of those who sat reclining at the table with him. And so John tells us when, it's six days before the Passover. So this is what we would call the Passion Week. It's the final week before the cross, just days before Jesus would die. Ultimately, we know he's our Passover lamb, huh? So this is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. And so Jesus comes to Bethany, Bethany is a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, and this is where Lazarus and his two sisters lived. You guys might remember that. They were good friends of Jesus. Imagine how awesome that must have been, being good friends. They would, he would stay with them. The Bible talks about how he loved them. There was some type of special relationship there. And so here they are together again, this time though. According to Matthew 26.6 and Mark 14.3, they're at the house of a guy named Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Now, I thought that was interesting how they were at the house of a guy named Simon. Jesus was at the house of a guy named Simon the leper. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you think he was still a leper? No, no way. Jesus healed him of his leprosy, no doubt, right? And so why did they call him Simon the leper? And I was thinking about that, and I, I don't know for sure, um, but um, sometimes people are called by certain names because they've been called that for so long. Who knows, maybe his whole life, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, everybody knew that guy as Simon the leper. 
And you know how it is. Sometimes you call people by names and it sticks. You know, Simon the leper, John, you know, the Baptist. I think of Teacher Jesse. You just can't, you just kind of, kind of keep things together, right? It's hard to make the switch. And so maybe it's something like that. Oh yeah, Simon the leper. We've always known him that way. Uh, Another thing, maybe, just maybe, they kept that as a reminder, you know, that the Lord had healed him of that. Because I think sometimes we forget what we were before Jesus came into our life, and we need to remind ourselves of what we were, of what he's done in our life. Because otherwise, we can get prideful. You know, what if I, you know, called myself Manny the Lost, Manny the Loser, Manny the Drug Addict, Manny the Drunk, and you knew me that. It's a big difference. If you knew me that way, there's Manny the Drunk. It's a lot different than Pastor Manny, right? And so I'm not saying that we have to refer to people that way, but may we never forget who we were before Jesus came into our life. And some of you guys here, you were raised in the church. I pray you would never, ever, um, that you would know who we are apart from Christ. And so I don't know, they're, they're there at Simon the, the leper's house, and, uh, and he's grateful and so apparently they're at his house. Why do you think they're there? Because Simon wants to say thank you to the Lord. And they throw a dinner for him. And Simon probably knew that Mary, she can chop it up. She's a really good cook. And so I'm going to invite her to make the meal. And he, I'm sorry, Martha. And so he invites the family over, wants to show gratitude. It's an intimate dinner for them. It makes perfect sense before Jesus would suffer and die on the cross. And, you know, one of the things that's really cool about Jesus is that he was probably a busy man, but one of the things I noticed about him is whenever people invited him over to dinner, he would always come. (laughs) Some people say, well, I never get to spend time with Manny. I mean, first of all, I don't even know why you would want to, but secondly, just invite me to dinner. I mean, that's all you got to do, man. (laughs) I don't know. All I know is uh, this is what's going on. And then we have this guy, Lazarus, mentioned here. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And John, you know, he kind of, he gives us that information. Lazarus, interesting guy. Because of him, people were getting saved. You know, if you go back to John 11, Look at verse 45, John 11, verse 45. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. This is right after he raised him from the dead. If you go to John 12, we're going to read this again later, but real quick, look at verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, speaking of Jesus, and they came not for, I'm sorry, Lazarus, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, notice, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away, they went away from their Judaism and believed in Jesus. And so Lazarus was a witness that was leading people to the Lord. How was he leading people to the Lord? It wasn't with his words. We don't have a single word of Lazarus, nothing from his lips. All we have is his life, his life. 
And I'm telling you guys this, and it's for me, it's, it's inspiring, it's, it's convicting. I want to live my life in such a way that people will want Jesus. I, I want that. And, and you know, it can't just be words. You know, if you're a Christian, you've been raised from the dead. And so I do want to encourage you, keep living your life. Some of you guys, man, your backgrounds are crazy. Some of you guys, I mean, and I thank God for what he's done in your life. And, you know, some of you guys, I mean, I could tell you guys stories I probably shouldn't. Uh, some of the gangs that the guys have been involved in, some of the, the crimes, some of the prison times, some of the sentences, some of the, 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 the scandals that individuals and backgrounds and sexual identity, I mean, you name it, they've been from, they come from all walks of life. And you're a Christian now. You're a Christian now. And I, and I tell you what, the people, they, they see you and they're like, wow, you know, and they've known you now for 30 years and you're still alive as a Christian. Listen, that's a witness. It is a witness. And that's what Lazarus was. He was just a witness. You know, I want to encourage you to keep living your life for Christ and, and, and just kind of like go into life I want my kids to, to serve the Lord, and so how will you love them, and how will you interact with them? And, you know, when someone pushes a certain button that normally you would, you know, flesh out and freak out because we have so much pride inside, right, that you would be different. I mean, one person said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I like that. Because we can, we can actually send a message with the simple life that we live. What if, you guys, and this is a challenge for you, okay? Because sometimes people don't, you know, they, they really won't, you know, care what you say until they discover how much you care about them, right? What if um, God told us, okay, here's my, uh, my command for you, Manny. I don't want you to say anything right now uh, as you're out there witnessing or you're with family or whatever, um, what if it was kind of like, the, you guys remember that movie, The Little Mermaid? Okay, she wanted to have life on, on, on earth and not under the sea. You guys remember, right? All right. And so, you know, she went, she made a deal with someone and they took her voice away. Remember? And then she had to go up and she liked this guy, Prince Eric. And, uh, and, and the deal was, if you can get Eric to kiss you, then you can become human with legs, you know, forever, whatever. And, but she didn't have a voice. She, didn't, she couldn't speak. What if God would say to you, listen, I want you to go out, not necessarily with your words, but with your ways. I want you to do it with your life, not your lips. I want you to do it in such a way in which you live your life. Don't preach it. Live it so that you can lead them to the Lord. How many of you here think we would act a little different? I, I do think that that is not necessarily, you know, God that can't, you know, say you can't speak because it is necessary to share, articulate the gospel, the cross and resurrection and faith in Jesus, but we have, we have to earn it. And so this is, a, to me, uh, as we're looking at our study today, I look at Lazarus and how people are believing in him because of the fact that he's just alive. I think it's a lesson for us. And then we move on to Martha. 
Look again, if you would, at John 12. It says in verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. Uh, some translations say a dinner in honor of him. And Martha served. That's all it says about Martha, that Martha served. So, so Lazarus lived. He's the witness. Martha served, and she's the worker, right? The Greek word is that word diakoneo. It simply refers to one who runs errands, someone who serves tables. We might consider these uh, to be menial tasks, but uh, in all reality, and I think this is something where we just have to correct the way we think, there is no such thing as a menial task in the kingdom of God. Do you realize, I mean, even Chuck Smith used to teach us how awesome it is when you see someone pick up a piece of trash for Jesus. You know, emptying the trash, vacuuming. I mean, it's so cool for us to understand that. As I mentioned to you earlier, someone bakes cookies for the coffee ministry. What an awesome thing that is. In this case, Martha is there without a shadow of a doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. She's just taking care of the meal. You guys know how important food is, right? Isn't food awesome? <laughs> Wouldn't you guys say? I mean, I love to break bread with people. I mean, it is awesome. I'm sorry, you know, you have your diets and stuff, but, you know, when you're getting together with your friends, man, you got you to gotta get down. You got to eat really good, right? And so here's, I mean, she's cooking up a storm. I'll bet you almost anything. And one day we'll find out when we talk to Martha when we're there in heaven. But I'll bet you almost anything she's finding out, like she's cooking up Jesus' favorite meal. Whatever it was, that's what she's cooking, right, for him. And, and that's just what she did. Some women are very gifted in this area. Some men are very gifted in this area, and I like these guys like Darren and stuff. And so, you know, <laughs> I hope you guys know what a blessing you are. It's important for you to understand that, lest you find yourself, you know, not realizing that and complaining one day. Because if you rewound, if we rewind to Luke chapter 10, I want you to turn there real quick. Luke chapter 10 in verse 38. Now it happened as they went, that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. And she was doing her thing. She was making the meal, preparing for that portion of the evening and she wasn't remembering who she was doing it for she was distracted with the service and not the savior and what ended up happening was she started complaining lord i can't believe it i'm doing all the work i'm emptying the trash i'm vacuuming things i'm cleaning up i'm doing all those things and these guys aren't even helping me and, and so that was her this is what she did but now you fast forward to john chapter 12 and she's not complaining anymore. She's not, because Jesus had taught her the significance of her part in the kingdom of God. 
And I pray that we would know that because sometimes you might compare yourself to them or I wish I would be on the platform or whatever, I should have a title. It doesn't have to be that way. One day when we stand before Jesus Christ and one day we will stand before him, he's not going to say, well, what title did you have? What position did you have? You know, how famous were you? Whatever, how big was the church? Absolutely not. It will be a matter of whether or not you were faithful in what God asked you to do. That's all. And I tell you what, I mean, those of you who cook, those of you who cook that you're, and you're good at it, you're good at it. Some of you guys are not good at it, but, but some of you are good at it. It's okay. We all have our different gifts, right? But those of you who do cook and are good at it, if I were to talk to you, I bet you 99.9% .9 of you would say, I love doing it. I like doing it, huh? Because that's what the way it works in the kingdom of God he gives you gifts and he gives you desires and you just do those things and you get blessed and the body of Christ, it flourishes. You know, Martha served. She was just obedient. She's grown. She's found her place now. She's not complaining. It doesn't matter where we serve, what title. All that matters is who we serve. We serve Jesus Christ. May we never, ever forget that. Because when I think of Jesus and I think of the one who was nailed to a cross for me, who shed his blood, who washed away my sins, and when I realize that I'm doing this for him and for the beautiful people, the beautiful people that he loves, it changes everything. You know, I was blessed by a brother who messaged me the other day and he said he wants to start serving in the ministry. And so I asked him, hey, where do you want to serve? You know, do you have a certain inclination to a certain ministry? And his response to me was, I'm open to serve wherever the need is, willing to scrub toilets, bro. That should be our heart. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what we do. We all have a gift. First Peter 4.10 says that. Have you discovered your gift? We all have a part in the body of Christ, none better than the other, right? That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Ephesians 4, 16 says in the NLT, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I mean, think of all the different parts in your body. I mean, every single one of them is significant, right? And that's how we get a healthy body. Well, that's how it is in the church as well. So as we're going through our study today and we're working our way towards really the main point is going to be Mary, we can't lose these other points along the way, how Lazarus lived and he was a witness and how, how Martha served and she, she worked. And, and then we move now to Mary. Look again, if you would, at verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
You know, over the years, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who confuse this account with the account in Luke chapter 7 of the, the woman who was a, a sex slave. She was a harlot, a woman of the night, and had done something similar. But what we see here is that they're, they're different. Um, Luke 7, it took place in Galilee, while this takes place in Bethany of Judea. The woman there was a woman of the night, but what we have here is a virtuous woman. The, the, the event in Luke 7, it took place prior to this. And so one of the things I was thinking, and again, we don't know for sure, but Mary, maybe Mary of Bethany had heard about what that you know, former prostitute did, how she came and she, with her anointment and her tears, washed the feet of Jesus. Maybe she heard about that. And now, when she knows her Lord is about to die, she says, you know what, I'm going to do what that one girl did back then. I'll tell you what, we can learn to worship from others. And I'll bet you almost anything that's what happened. I'm sure there's more to it. Um, But all I know is this, that we need to, in this way, be open and, and worship the way that God calls us to. You know, I don't know uh, the details of your life, how it's going to be expressed. You know, the Bible says that we worship God as a living sacrifice. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our rational act of worship. It says that in Romans 12, in verse 2. So as you present your body a living sacrifice, then God will show you what to do with your body as an act of worship to God. And so for her, God said, okay, Mary, you know that, 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 that spike nard you have from, the, from India, from the Himalayas? That perfume, that 12-ounce jar of perfume in the flask that's worth $50,000? It was worth 300 days of a worker, so it just depends on how much they got paid. All I know is buku bucks, and the Lord told her, I want you to take that, and I want you to go to Jesus. And again, like when you read in Matthew 26, Mark 14, when you harmonize everything together, what you find is that first she poured it out on the head of Jesus. She, she didn't just open the flask. It says that she broke it open so that she broke it so that there would be no hindrance to the flow and she just poured it all over Jesus and so it went all over his whole body and then she gets down on her knees and she, what Jewish women wouldn't do this because the hair was the glory and she took her hair, she let her hair down and with her perfume she washed his feet. Now we had, we're going to read it in John 13 that that's what servants do, that's what the lowest slaves do. But how did she know to do this? Well, I mean, she was listening to the Lord, number one, because Jesus was saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Now, the apostles didn't understand what he meant by that. I'm going to die. I mean, I don't understand why they didn't understand. It's because sometimes we have preconceived ideas. Well, the Messiah is supposed to come and he's supposed to set up his kingdom and he's supposed to reign. No, read your Bibles. Isaiah 53 says he was supposed to suffer. And die as a sacrifice for our sins. But Mary was listening. Mary was listening, right? And Mary was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, when you look at this, it's just a beautiful act of worship on her part. I don't know what it will be on your part. 
All I know is when you look at Mary, it's a beautiful story. How could she know? How could she do this? I think the answer to that question requires an answer to another question. And let me ask you guys this, because some of you here are Bible students, right? What was Mary's chief character trait? Some of you guys know it, but what was Mary's chief character trait? And if you don't know it, I'm sorry, I have to take the blame myself. Apparently, I never taught you this. But let's look at a few verses and let's see if we can find out what they are. Let's go back to Luke 10, 38. Remember we read this? It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat where? At Jesus' feet and heard his word. Okay, so make note of that. Now if you would go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and notice what we read in verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down where? At his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her, what? Weeping. Weeping. So number one, the Bible's not random. The Bible it specifies things because it wants to give us clear messages. We just have to listen. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Mary fell down at Jesus' feet and wept. She wept. And then we read in John chapter 12 that she comes with this perfume. And where is she? At Jesus' feet. And she worships. That's how she knew that she was to perfume his body in preparation for his burial and take that $50,000 jar of perfume and to anoint the body of Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you, myself as well, you know, to make sure that we're living our life at Jesus' feet. When we talk about Jesus' feet, and you got to know this in the culture, whenever you said they, or they wrote whatever, they studied at the feet of Gamaliel, what it means, number one, is that they're a disciple. So she is clearly a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it also has to do not just that she's a student, but also that she's submissive. You know, and I don't know if you guys can still do this or not. It's not something that physically people can do. But I love to get down on my knees. I love to get down on my face. On my face. At, at Jesus' feet. And just listen to his word. It's there where we take our sorrows. I mean, it's okay to tell everybody else. Don't get me wrong. You know, you share with someone that you're struggling or someone passed away and for some reason, you know, we can't get past it. Well, maybe if you took those tears to the feet of Jesus Christ, you might find comfort 
and healing because people don't die unless God allows them to. And if he allows them to, then he's got a purpose in the plan. But it's something that only Jesus can show you and only Jesus can strengthen you in. And then, you know, when you're there at his feet, on your knees, on your face, I mean, I, I want to encourage you. And then you're there and you're just worshiping. Thank you, Lord. You know, thank you for her. The worship had to do with the fact that she knew he was about to suffer and sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. All the things that we have ever done wrong, all the darkness, all the demonic influence, all the separation of the Father, the the lowest place ever in the universe for, for the holy God. She knew he was about to go there. And she just... She worshipped him. You know, we're going to see why. You might wonder, well, why perfume? Why did, you know, she do that? We're going to see why later. It's really significant. But for now, I pray that we would glean that from her, you know, as she did what God called her to do as an act of worship. Then we see what ends up happening. It says that the whole house is filled with the fragrance. Notice it says that again. There, and, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Like when you worship, when you worship, and it could be at home, and it could be in here, it, it changes the place here. I, I will say this as a side note, because I want to start challenging you guys more in the area of worship through music, that we need to do this better. That as we're singing songs, man, that we have to be uh, a little bit more unashamed, a little bit louder, a little bit more from the heart, a little bit more expressive, a little dancing. I miss Reuben. We need to worship better. And we're going to talk more about that. But it's just so beautiful to see what she did and how it fills the house, right? But watch what happens because her worship filled the house, but it also infuriated the enemy. And that's why when we're singing songs, and I, sometimes I get this thought, you guys, I'm like there, I'm singing, or whenever I'm in the back, I'm singing, and I'm thinking, man, as I'm singing this from the heart, the, de- the devil hates it. As we're singing worship, and we start our service, and we're singing worship, I, I'm telling you guys, you're singing it louder, and you're worshiping, and you're praising God, and you're whatever, some of you are standing up, some of you are on your knees, you're not ashamed, right? And as you're worshiping, man, you're defeating the devil like that. Do you realize that? That's so whatever you do, don't underestimate that. Don't think, oh, we're just singing songs. We're, well, we're worshiping, and it's powerful. Judas was ticked off, man. Look what it says in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, he objected. And he said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, when you read the other Gospels, they mention the fact that the disciples were also criticizing Mary. But here we see that Judas led them in their criticism. Now, some people are really good at finding fault. They're creative, critics, cynics, not really knowing the heart of God, not really knowing what's going on. And you've got to be careful with that because a critical spirit is very contagious Next thing you know, you're criticizing, and next thing you know, they're joining you in, and man, before you know it, it's just a crazy situation. You know, how could she do this? One of the things I I need to make sure that I mention to you is it's okay to question. 
It is okay to question. We should never read a po- reach a point as a leader or a church or whoever it might be where someone can ask a question. Hey, why'd you do that? Take your question to God or take your question to the person personally. Don't talk behind their back. In this case, Judas is saying it to him. What I probably would have suggested is that he probably should have done it personally. Hey, Jesus, after it's all said and done, I'm just curious. Maybe we should have sold that and given it to the poor. $50,000 is a lot of money, right? All I know is this. We got to be careful of the critical spirit. It's been said, he who throws dirt always loses ground. Understand that. But we know that in the fallen world, it's inevitable, right? Aristotle said there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. So I'm going to get criticized. You're going to get criticized, right? We can't be distracted by it. But what we find right here is Judas was way off. He sounded so spiritual, right? But look what it says in verse 6. There's real motives. This he, said, not, not, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was in it. Now, later we know Judas would betray the Lord for what? Money, 30 pieces of silver, right? It it was money. And and what you find in life, I'll tell you what, you guys, money is a big problem. It really is. Some people should be serving the Lord, but they're not because of money, because they're working another job, because, you know, they bought a house over yonder and uh, they just wanted a house, That's the American dream. And that's cool. Don't get me wrong. Go buy a house. But where you go buy a house, serve the Lord. Serve him with a reckless abandon. Because I I know it's expensive to live in Southern California, and especially in the area that we live in. But one of the things that I've seen time and time again is that people, they sell out for, for things like money and what money can buy. Think of someone like Balaam who had so much potential. Balaam, huh? And, you know, he ended up dying the death of the unrighteous. Think of someone like Achan. You read about his story in Joshua chapter 7 when, you know, they went in and he wanted their certain clothes and gold and the Babylonian garment and all this kind of stuff, and he ended up dying. And think of someone like Gehazi. He was a servant to Elisha. Elisha said, no, we we just want to live a simple life. We don't want the luxuries. We don't want the fancy stuff. We're going to live a simple life, right? And so one of the guys got saved from Syria, Naaman, and he says, here, let me just give you some of this stuff, man, some money, some clothes and stuff like that. Elisha said, no, we don't want it. We don't want it. And so the guy gets sent away, but Hazai goes and follows him. And he says, oh, you know what? We got some people that just showed up, and so maybe we can use some of that stuff. And so what ended up happening was the leprosy that had been stripped away from Naaman was now on Gehazi because he ended up choosing money and the things that money can buy over God. It's a big mistake. Big mistake. Judas would go in and he would take from the money box. You know, one of the things that you'll find about Judas that trips me out, man, not only was he a poser, but he was a good poser. Nobody thought this guy could ever do that. I mean, you would take, and we're, again, I hope our guys in administration don't take this wrong, but the guys that you put in charge of money, oh, man, they have to have a high, you know, consideration. And you're thinking, they're, they're good guys. That's who Judas was. But he was the wicked. 
you know, what we find is that be careful. We don't have time to go there, but I encourage you later on, read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, some have strayed from the faith because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so what we find here, Jesus then, uh, you know, defends Mary. In verse 7, Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. You know, Jesus commended her and defended her in the other Gospels. Jesus says, and I want you guys to know this, that wherever the Gospel goes out to the, to the end of the age, they're going to be talking about this amazing work that Mary has done, how good it is, how good it is, how good it is. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. This is one of the most inspiring stories in the whole Bible for me. How she took and she gave everything to the Lord. She gave all of it to God. Listen, when we give to God, it's not the, the portion, it's the proportion. It's not the sum, it's the sacrifice. Jesus would watch people give and he wasn't impressed with them because they gave out of their abundance. But there was this woman who gave two mites. And that's the one that blew him away because he said she gave everything. Everything. And I can't imagine being a Christian, knowing what Jesus has done for us, and not giving everything to him. My heart, my life, my thoughts, my words, my decisions, every day, every moment, it's all his. Jesus defended her. He said, leave her alone. You know, what she's done for me, and the other Gospels, it talks about that, you know, he says it was a good work. But it's interesting what he says, she's kept this for the day of my burial. Now, as I was thinking about that, I'm like, Lord, what do you mean the day of your burial? Um, I don't understand. Well, um, she poured the, 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 the ointment on him. And some of you guys have perfume, right? How many of you ladies have perfume? I'm just curious. Some of you guys have cologne, right? And you guys have cologne. And usually we put a, a spray on, right? Some of that stuff, I'll tell you what, it's strong, right? And I guess if it's really good, not only does it smell really good, but it's really strong. This, that's what this was. This is from the Himalayas. This is from India. This is expensive stuff, right? And she takes it and she pours it all over his body. And so what we believe, because the Jews would anoint bodies for burial, because they had kind of like this concept that it would actually slow down the decay and stuff like that, decomposition of the body. This is a beautiful thing is what they would do. But what, what, what that would do for Jesus, though, is that as she anointed his, his body, with all that, 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 that beautiful perfume, then, you know, for, for, for it, would, it would last all the way through his death. He could smell it. He could smell it. He could smell that worship. He could smell that wonderful work that this woman had done. She was like symbolic of the bride of Christ. And as he's there and uh, 
whatever. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, the hematidrosis, sweating blood. He could smell it. As they're beating him, he could smell it. As they're scourging him, he could smell it. As they're nailing him to a cross, he could still smell it. Because what she did strengthened him for his work. That's how huge this was. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, and it says that, that he was looking at us while he was dying for us. And so whatever we, we have to make sure we understand that whatever it is that you're doing and you're worshiping and you're giving it to God, he sees and I know he's pleased. And that's where this woman was. In verse 8, it's not like Jesus doesn't care about the poor. You guys know, I mean, God cares about the poor, but this was something that needed to be done. And so we close in verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. I just trip out on the chief priests. I'm like, man, you know he was dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. Why don't you believe in Jesus? And the answer is because they were so caught up in their position that they had as chief priests in their life, and they didn't want to lose the crowd to Christ. And so it's just they were just so blind in their sins. And so they ended up saying, okay, rather than join, we got to kill this guy too. We've got to kill him too because he is the reason why many people are coming to Christ. In the end, there were Jews that left their religion and believed in Jesus. And because of that, you know, they, they're saved. Isn't it cool, the gospel, how Jesus died for our sins, he rose again, and in order for us to be saved forever and ever in heaven, not just in heaven, but have life abundant on earth, all we have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be saved. How many of you guys have done that? I'm just curious. You know, hopefully all of you. If you haven't yet, if you haven't, then I pray that today you would. You know, uh, it's something that only God can do. I can't do it. The church can't do it. There's not a man who's ever lived who can save you. But if today you feel like, hey, I'm far, but I need to come to God. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. You know, if you're out there, you're struggling, you don't know if you're a Christian or not, then I want to invite you today to come to God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I can tell you this, because I know it on the authority of God's word, that if you do, you will be saved.